This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey, uh, heads up. My audio is not where it needs to be this week. Had a had a rough one and just not able to get it up to good. So, sorry about that. And Adam, do you know what time it is? It's time to talk about a very tall man. It is! It's the Mark Silvestri Power Hour! Mark Silvestri. This is the Mark Silvestri Power Hour. I guess you can make a drinking game out of this. You can make a drinking game after every time we say Mark Silvestri. We're going to say Mark Silvestri's name a lot. Please don't play that. Mark Silvestri! If you play, if you play the Mark Sylvester drinking game like I played when I was a senior in college and played the drinking game that I invented called John Tucker Must Die, where I watched the movie John Tucker Must Die <laughs> with my uh, friends who lived next door, and anytime they said John or Tucker or John Tucker, I took a drink and I decided that I would be drinking Jack Daniels. And long story short, my friend Greg did have to come and get me after a half hour. Oh yeah, that sounds like a terrible idea. It so, was the drunkest um, I ever was in college. Yeah, so I, maybe friends don't actually do this. Yes, um, please don't. Please don't drink every time we say Mark Silvestri, Mark Silvestri, or Mark Silvestri, or Mark or Silvestri. But uh, we are going to talk about Mark Silvestri, a very tall man uh, who I have met once uh, at New York. Comic Con 2019. God, that seems like an eon ago. Yeah, and I was four times. I was shocked to see the height of this man. So who, wait, Mark didn't even want to come on our podcast during New York Comic Con 2019. <laughs> Why are we even having this? We could get uh, we could well, get Will Spicasio, and that was it. He's a very busy man, Zach. Let me tell you, his line is long. And uh, I did, I believe, ask him this question while he was trying to eat a sandwich. So <laughs> we we can forgive Mark. Uh, I maybe don't. One day. You can forgive Mark Silvestri <laughs> if you want. I'm mad at him and the sandwich artisan that made that. Oh, my goodness. You haven't lived till you've seen a very tall man eat a sandwich in front of you. Um, but <laughs> we have three Mark Silvestri uh, well, sort of. We have three Mark Silvestri stories. Mark Silvestri yes. was key to all of these stories existing. And yeah, is credited that is very true. in some way or another on all of them. Yes. So, uh, who do we have to thank for our first story on Kenny X-Men something or other? Uh, we have to thank Dave Shevlin. Uh, Dave went on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf and supported local comic book journalism like ours. Uh Dave also runs uh, Comfort Food Comics. It's a website that if you like the staff of Xavier Files, nope, if you like the staff of Comics XF, the name that we've had for months and I've known about for even longer, uh, several of them are uh, regular contributors over there as well. So go check out uh, some of that stuff. There's like, uh, there's a book that uh, Corey McCreary uh, is writing about the triangle era of Superman that is, uh, through articles that are going up on Comfort Food. 
which is great. So yeah. I just got I just got DC uh, Universe Infinite or whatever it's called. I am not reading all the Triangle Era of Superman. That seems like a real big ask. Uh, I did read. I did read. Adam, have you read Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen by Matt Action Fraction and Steve Lieber, the guy that made us think Spencer was good for a little bit? Look, here's the thing. My time is limited, and the amount of comics I'm going to read is also going to be limited. I have never been a DC person, and I don't expect to ever be. However, I do make exceptions when I see that there are these like very highly regarded things that people tell me to like. So that is something that I have on my list. Have I read it? No. But I hope you enjoyed it. It's I'm not a DC person. I have no affection for Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) Um It's real good. It's like what if that one (laughs) Christmas issue of Hawkeye where it's nonlinear was twelve issues of progressive chaos and it's very good (laughs) well uh since we're talking dave shevlin i also want to thank dave uh who got me obsessed with finding a copy of advanced comics number 32 due to an exclusive piece of mutant genesis preview art and uh uh thanks to dave and um and uh will henderson i have a copy of this coming from uh, merry old london so I hope to be able to report on that soon, but that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, yeah, which is uncanny, distracted. uncanny X Men. Uh, two thirty two to two thirty four. Yes, it's called Earthfall. Uh, yeah, well, what's what's fallen to Earth here? It looks like a big old shark. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a star shark. <laughs> uh, they um, remember remember. Uh, the whales that uh, Storm sacrificed her life for and then became whale goddess or something. I do. Barry. Yes. Yeah. In a, what was what was that art called, Adam? Uh, the Brood Saga. The Brood Saga. Okay, good. I'm <laughs> glad we all agree on the Brood Saga. Uh, this is the direct sequel to the Brood Saga several years later. It's written by Chris Claremont uh, with pencils by Mark Silvestri. It's actually following up on a plot beat that Claremont made like 30 issues beforehand and then just never came back to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was the little uh, bit with Havoc and Polaris, right? Yeah. Where the brood ended up on earth. And now the, uh, the Outback X-Men are dealing with that. And again, Mark Silvestri, let's start. This is the Mark Silvestri power hour after all. So let's talk about Mark Silvestri's art. Yeah. That's pretty good. I love it. I love it. Do you? What? I think I think <laughs> I may have more affection for Jim Lee's art only because his art is so his art and his designs and his style is so tied to what I think of when I think of X Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think Mark Silvestri might be better. Well, it's funny that you say that because if you go back to some of the media about the uh, the image people, they all used to say that Mark was the best of them, even though he was not the high, the most highly regarded. And I think there's definitely a dynamic quality to what it is that Mark does. The fluidity of his storytelling, it's it's clear, uh, it's concise. He does action well. Uh, he conveys speed and motion with his work, and 
yes does he fall into the jim lee trap of everybody is a babe um Hold sure. On. That... Hold on. I think Jim Lee falls into the Will Sportacio trap of everyone is a babe. <laughs> I mean, this whole era is everybody's a babe, right? But Mark right. Silvestri kind of, you know, this is where we start to homogenize the the characters a little bit in terms of the way that their faces look. Um, you can either look at that as a, a weakness or you can kind of look at it as a stylistic quirk of what it is that he does. Um does not bother me. I absolutely love the Sylvestri era, and I think it's a huge part of why I have such affection for uh, the Outback era. Yeah, his art's um, real good. Uh, this mm-hmm. has one of like the covers I think of as an iconic X-Men cover, which is 234, which is uh, Wolverine being turned into one of the brood. Um, and yeah. he's, he's sitting there screaming out in pain. He ain't happy about it, that's for sure, um, because we have a group of humans that have been infected and are continuing their their plot to continue to infect other people. And it just so helps that one of them is a paramedic. So he gets to arrive on crime scenes and help infect more people into their group. Um, it's going pretty well, actually, until the X-Men catch on to what's going on and... Uh, start to get infected themselves unfortunately yeah you talk about the people that they infected the brood specifically infected some mutants so that they would be brood mutants um, right yes such classic claremont characters as brickbat and <laughs> spitball and dive bomber and whip hand who has whip hands um the brood mutant i'm gonna this is not Claremont's finest hour. These three, these three do not. The Brood sections do not live up to the hype of the Brood returning after uh, the Brood saga. I feel it's a strange thing because we are getting uh, the buildup. I think is pretty good. You know, with with the the humans being attacked by this Jaws from space sure, spaceship. The, the, the opening, the opening like section of this, yeah. Right. It's cool. Um, but we evolve into what is the centerpiece of it, which is this giant fight scene that takes place in an alley, which is understandable. It makes it a lot easier to to draw because it's the single setting, but it also is like not as exciting. Um, there's also in Claremont, <laughs> classic Claremont fashion, this whole B plot that involves a uh, televangelist um tell me if you've heard this one before and it culminates with uh the brood almost assassinating this guy and wolverine having to to stop that from happening it's it's there's a little bit of a greatest hits quality to uh to this particular arc would you agree is it is except for very explicitly uh he ends up being like oh we shouldn't be we shouldn't be jerks to mutants. Yes, this is he's not a, a William Stryker. He's a pro. He is a pro mutant uh, televangelist. Yes, William Conover instead of William Stryker. Sure. Um, the, the other really cool part of this, um, which has nothing to do with either of those storylines, is that we are getting uh, the transformation of Maddie Pryor leading up to Inferno. Oh, yeah, the best part of this. Um, yes. So that part, which is extremely visual, 
um, and you're not really sure what's going on. There's all this, uh, you know, imagery about, uh, you know, her coming to grips with the fact that she's a clone um, of Jean in not not literal terms, but it's all visual is really interesting. And I love the way that's handled. That is exceptional visual storytelling. It's expressive. It's experimental in a way that Claremont really wasn't uh, often writing towards. He's a very literal writer a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And this is this is playing around and doing some incredibly interesting stuff. And if you if you do pick these issues up for any reason, it's got to be for that because that's so good. It does a great job. Claremont does a great job getting into Maddie's head, making you feel for her and really want to support her in her decision making skills up until she tries to assassinate several babies. Um <laughs> And you get why she's doing it, but yes, baby murder's still bad, Madeline. Love the, the you, girl. logic. Yeah, the logic goes out the window faster than a mailbox that'll eat your hand. Um, <laughs> so, uh, hey, quick plug. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris is on Infinite Earths just did Inferno, and those three episodes were delightful. Uh, yeah, that's, so, that's the podcast that... Uh, Friends of the show, Chris Edelman and Christy Edelman uh, do. It's super good. And actually on one of the episodes, a friend of the show, Nella Fowl, was there uh, talking mm-hmm. about fun things like Inferno. <laughs> yes. um, so if you if you are mad at us for saying that Inferno is not perfect, go listen to them. Yeah. If you're an Inferno fan, you will absolutely love that trilogy of episodes. Um, but the, 233 is the one with the Maddie Pryor stuff. So if, if you know you haven't checked that out, check it out. And, uh, you know, I, I think also to, to Sylvester's credit, there's a couple little visual gags in here that I really like. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that Sylvester gets as much credit for his humor as I, cause I, I, I wonder if Claremont's writing these things into the script, but there is this really funny gag in the, in the third issue where these two people are making out while, uh, Dazzler is being attacked. Um, and <laughs> they're like completely non-phased by what's happening around them. It's great. Like they, there are these little things that he does uh, throughout this and, and into Inferno that, uh, you know, I don't think he's known for that, but he's good at it. There's like a, yeah. like a loony quality to what he does sometimes. No, it's, this isn't bad, but I would like right after this is the Genosha art. Yes. Uh, it's not that good. So it's in a weird spot. And it's, yes. a, it's a sequel to a very good story. So it, it has tough comps, and that's that's a problem for it. Uh, but that's all we do on this show is tough comps, isn't it? I was going to say, uh, if we're comparing things, we might as well rank it on our big old list. Okay. Um, uh, we're, we've been ranking every X-Men story from best to worst. Uh, number one story on our list is The House of X Powers of Ten. The number 100 story is the Bendis arc of Uncanny X-Men, where they go to Limbo. The number 200 is Uncanny X-Men, 15.INH, Girls Night Out. 300, what is 300? It's The Hunt for Xavier. Number 400 on our list is the Nova Roma arc of New Mutants. And the Draco's even worse, and that's at the bottom at 477 on our Road to 500. 
I don't think this breaks the top 100. No. Because we just ranked Necrotia, and I think Necrotia's, uh, it's better than this. I would agree. I would agree. And we also have uh, the X-Men and X-Factor section of Inferno at 107. Um, controversial to some, but <laughs> I think that's definitely better than this. Um, yeah, we're in the right-ish spot. How do you feel about it compared to uh, 134 is Follow the Mutants, 225 to 227. I, I think that's That's the Uncanny better. X-Men part of Follow the Mutants. Yes. I Which that's I probably think, better. I think that is better than this. Uh, like I'm, yeah. I'm going down the list here. We have some interesting stuff. Uh, like, at 156 is new X-Men, The Quest for Magic, and I think The Quest for Magic is better than this. We have the uh, Tim Seeley uh, Shatterstar miniseries at 173, I think, is better than this. Oh, really? You were going to go that low? I would, Well, like, two above that. It's the Rogue miniseries with, uh, with the good art. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking that Rogue, around that Rogue here. That Rogue miniseries is better than this. I know, but all right. Um, so, like at one sixty nine, we have Uncanny two thirty, which is the Aussie uh, Christmas X-Men. story. Yes, that's better than this. Two two forty five is Men, uh, which another Image Boy Liefeld draws, and it's better than this. Is it? Um, yeah, I think so, kinda. Um, mm, all right. Let me ask you this: We're definitely this here's than- here's the thing. We are definitely in the right realm. Um, all right. I see you have Phalanx Covenant Generation Next highlighted at 180. I would say Phalanx Covenant Generation Next is better than this. Like, I think to me, this is better than number 200, which is 15.inh Girls Night Out. Probably okay. Actually, I know exactly where my floor is. Okay, go ahead. This is better than Kingdom's Fall from Extraordinary X Men at 192. The like good arc of that one. I, okay, yep, you just highlighted it. I think we found the spot. So we at did. 183, we have Magipor Knights. I think Magipor Knights is better than this. Um, Magipor Knights better. Right. Now, at 188, we have the last arc of all-new Wolverine, 33 to 35 old, man, old woman Laura. And above that, we have Power Pack 20. I think this is better than Power Pack 20 and not as good as Kitty Pride and Wolverine at 186. I would say below kid below Power Pack twenty above Old Woman Laura. Is Power Pack twenty the Thanksgiving parade episode issue? Y- yes. Let's double the- check because if it's not, I'm gonna feel real sheepish. <laughs> I think twenty. If it is, I will agree with you. If it's the Christmas one, then okay, that's the Christmas one. That's proto. Yeah, this can go above. I'll put it above it. Thank you. I'll put it above that. Yes. That's fine. Because I, I was thinking I was thinking it was the Thanksgiving one. But yeah, Eddie Fred and Wolverine is better than this. All right. Uh, that's so, Earthfall, baby. Earthfall. Uh, 187. <laughs> so I've got a weird question for you to, to uh, segue into our next story here. Uh, what's yes. your favorite Ernest Hemingway novel, Zach? Never read an Ernest Hemingway novel. <laughs> oh, Okay. I thought right. you were about to ask me. I honestly thought you were going to start this by saying, whom does the bell toll? <laughs> for whom the bell tolls? Oh, my it God. It tolls for thee, Adam. I believe it, it does toll, thee. in fact, for thee. Well, uh, this is another Aussie X-Men era story, except um, this is after Sylvester leaves Uncanny and jumps over to uh, Larry Hama's 
Wolverine. Um, what's this story called? This is called Blood and Claws, uh, and this is where I think Hama hits his stride. Oh uh, it's thirty-five. My God, yes, thirty-five to thirty-seven. Through, yeah, um, and right. So I once wrote a thing for Polygon.com, a video game website, um, about the ten best Wolverine stories, and Was I this included. One of them? I included this in a long run of Wolverine stories. Like I just kind of included everything that follows <laughs> this too. Cause I could, cause it only gets wilder from here, but no, uh, this is blood and claws. Uh, it's by Mark Sylvester does the art Larry Hama. Who's a friggin' master at this point. Um, He's, he's kind of the best at doing action comics, right? Uh, like, and he clearly has an affection for uh, Lost Generation writer Ernest Hemingway because the essential bit in this, and it's so funny the way they pull this together, is that Lady Deathstrike really wants to kill Wolverine. Now, Wolverine sure. just wants to go and hang out with Puck. Now, Puck, Puck is the very short guy from uh, Alpha Flight. Yes. So Wolverine and Puck are like hanging out in a rowboat fishing. And Puck is showing Wolverine a picture of himself from the Spanish Civil War when he was hanging out with Ernest Hemingway. At which point Lady Deathstrike asks Gateway to take her to what Wolverine is looking at. So Lady Deathstrike suddenly appears out of the air, but because she asked her to hit Gateway to take him to what Wolverine was looking at, they are transported into a sort of amalgam of Hemingway books. So when we arrive, first of all, Judd uh, Puck becomes Judd. Uh, Puck now is tall uh, as he well, once it's, was. It's, yeah, it's Puck as he was during the Spanish Civil War. Right. Right. Um, now, as we start here, we're, we're, we're in a, a bullfight. Um, so this is a little more sun also rises than anything else, but we slowly transition into, uh, hanging out with a band of, of guerrilla Antifa soldiers who are going up against, uh, fascist Nazis and Spanish soldiers as they try to escape, um, with a wounded puck. And uh, with Lady Deathstrike on their heels and nothing but Wolverine and a machine gun to try and stop them. And God, I love this story. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Um, Wolverine fights Nazis and fascists in the Spanish Civil War uh, with his good friend Ernest Hemingway and Puck. <laughs> Lady Deathstrike is like, yeah, of course I'll be on the side of the fascists. My dad was, uh, or is, a uh, kamikaze pilot in World War II. That's about to happen. So I'm all for this. That's, listen, not great. A lot of comics characters work with Nazis, as in Hydra, who are also Nazis. Uh, but Lady Dress Strikes working with Nazis, as in, like, actually wearing Nazi clothes. 
which is bad, but it doesn't matter because Wolverine takes a Gatling gun and starts blowing the heck out of him. Like this, you say there's a lot of Hemingway influence in this, and I have to believe you. Uh, do you know what? Do you know what my cultural reference that I'm pulling from here is? I'm gonna guess you're thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I was I was thinking of GI Joe. This seems oh, to be where Pavo is like, hey, I couldn't <laughs> use actual Nazis in GI Joe, so can I have Wolverine just kill a bunch of Nazis and look cool doing it? Because Mark <laughs> Silvestri draws this great, and Wolverine just mows down some Nazis. He's in the well, business of killing Nazis, and baby, business is a booming. <laughs> Yeah, he does go full Schwarzenegger commando here. Uh, he dons the the brown and yellow costume, which he just happens to still be wearing despite the time travel. Uh, and God, if this isn't fantastic, like it's such so a good, good, it leans on so many macho tropes. Uh, you know, the, the, the sheer presence of Ernest Hemingway walking around with some, you know, babe on his shoulder, uh, as they team up with the the the, the local rebels um, is is one, but then we also get this sort of action movie uh, tr- trope, you know, predator commando style of of Wolverine taking on this this platoon that's coming after him, and then we do get this extremely savage that turns into like a time traveling fight uh, between Deathstrike and Wolverine to wrap this up. It's so cool. It not only is a time traveling fight as they are as they are whipping back through the timeline, they are going back through all of the other Wolverine Lady Deathstrike fights, which yes. all of them have been good so far. <laughs> they continue to be. It's like, hey, you remember that time uh, that Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike fought in the snow, and it ruled. We're, yeah. we're gonna do that again. We're gonna we're gonna see that again. And it's, yeah, I think Kate, Katie Power is there and asking if she can open her eyes again. <laughs> It's so good. Because you have all this going on. In the present, you have Donald Pierce uh, setting up some stuff uh, for where this arc will go. Right. uh, Involving LCD and Mm -hmm. Albert, who are great. And we'll talk about them some other time. Albert's a robot Wolverine that you think is the weapon to destroy Wolverine. But actually, the small girl is named LCD uh, is made out of C4. I love it. I love it. Um, I also just, I I mentioned this before we started recording, but I think it's also really important to note that um, despite the fact that we do have these characters that are Nazis in this story, it's very different from what it is that we've been seeing visually in things like Deadpool versus X-Force and New Mutants Forever. Um, These characters are wearing actual uniforms and they don't look like some kind of weird superhero with like swastikas tattooed all over themselves. They, they legitimately look like historically accurate costumes. And I think it adds because they were people in 1939 and real Nazis that knew Hitler. (laughs) Right. Like they, I I think there's a a really interesting contrast between the cartoony way and, you know, which you you think that you're using the iconography in a way that like makes sense. And then you switch over to this and it's like, it's essentially a very silly action story. Um, But it's still putting you in the place so that it, it feels a little bit more uh, legitimate and, and more exciting when Wolverine does take them out. This is still an action story, 
But where it uses the iconography, it uses it because that's the iconography that would be around. It does not make it toyetic, which I think there you like go. Deadpool, Deadpool versus X Force specifically made. And then you know similarly with uh, the New Mutants uh, Forever, new, new it was yeah. how do we make how do we make supervillain costumes for Nazis? And they already yeah. had them. It was designed by Hugo Boss. Uh, they already had supervillain costumes. They were called the Nazi uniforms. So we don't need to do anything more than that. It's it's the right level of treating it with respect and also with Wolverine having absolutely no patience for Nazis and Ernest Hemingway having no patience for Nazis and Puck having no patience for Nazis and them just being like, nope, we understand that historically... The Spanish Civil War is not going to go well, and that's going to be but another domino leading into World War II. But we digress. We're going to do our best to fight these Nazis. Um, so aside from the story itself, I think that, and, and we haven't mentioned him yet, but I think Silvestri and anchor Dan Green do a really good job with this uh, particular story. I think that oh, yeah. the, uh, the artwork is, is, is notably different I think than what we just were talking about in uncanny it's looser. I think it's even more expressive and willing to mm -hmm. kind of exaggerate features and, and push and pull characters, expressions and body parts. It, it's great to see a character like death strike illustrated by Sylvester because he can just make these arms and these claws kind of like fly in whatever direction he wants. And um, it, it's, it's enjoyable from like a, a a character illustration perspective. He, he gives you enough of the background to get an idea of where you are at any given moment. Um, the, the culminating scene takes place in this Canyon, uh, and Wolverine's kind of like in there amongst the smoke. It, it, it works very, very well in that way. Um, and the layouts also are just fantastic. Like, you know, we get these, you're not getting a splash page because it, it's unnecessary. You're getting it because it is an actual culminating moment. And it's really exciting to see Lady Deathstrike jump out of the fog and, and go after Wolverine who didn't know she was there. Yeah, it rules. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. It rules. This is a good comic that rules. And I just think that I think we should have more good comics that rule like this. Like, this is so much fun. Go check this one out. It's a blast. Mm -hmm. Larry Hama. Again, we, we've said before, Larry Hama, he takes big swings every time and he misses a lot, especially as this run goes on. He has misses, but when he hits, they are freaking out of the park and it's so good. <laughs> and I think this is a good one. And let's talk about this comic. Um, where do we have Shiva scenario? That's a good question. We have the Shiva scenario at 80. This is better than the Shiva scenario. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, I have we're... to stand by it being better than the Shiva scenario because I got paid by Polygon.com, a website Justin McElroy from the Macro Brothers helped start. <laughs> they paid me and I said that, so I have to stand my ground. Yeah. Um, I think we're in the same realm as something like Morlocks. Uh, at 63. So I was looking there. I was actually looking 
a few spots down is X-Men Red, and I think this is better than X-Men Red, actually. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Because it, it rules. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say right above Morlocks, we have Fantastic Four versus the X-Men. And I think this is probably better than that. But I'm looking right above that. Uh, we've got the first arc of the Alan Davis run on Excalibur. We got Storm and Ileana Magic. We got Multiple Man uh, by Andy McDonald and Matt Rosenberg. We've got E is for Extinction 1 through 4, which I have art hanging right there of. So I am very biased. So I th yeah. I think this, this is on the same level as those, but for me personally, better than Fantastic Four vs. X-Men. I, I'll go with that. Um, I <laughs> It's just doing what it's doing very, very well. Um, it may not have the emotional beats of Fantastic Four versus X-Men, but um, I think if, you know, you are a fan of either um, <laughs> 80s action movies and or uh, the books of Ernest Hemingway, you will get a real kick out of this. So it's our new 62. This is on New 62. It's Wolverine Blood and Claws. We got one more. Check it out. And buddy, there's Blood and Claws in this one too. Uh, we picked a weird one here, man. This is, uh, well, we, we need to probably contextualize this a little bit, but what, what is this called? This is a book from 2007, which that year will shock you, um, but it's Cyber Force X-Men. Cyber Force X-Men. Uh, so we were talking a little bit before we started. Uh, Zach, your familiarity with Cyber Force. Yeah, so here's what I know about Cyber Force. Cyber Force was Mark Silvestri's uh, Image Comics uh, team that ripped off the X-Men as opposed to uh, Wildcats, which was Jim Lee's team that ripped off the X-Men, or Youngblood that was Rob Liefeld's team that ripped off the X-Men, or uh, which one was Will Portacio's team that ripped off the X-Men? The <laughs> Wetworks. Wetworks. Okay. Yes. Okay. Hold on. This is, well, this is, this is, <laughs> all I'm saying is this is Mark Silvestri's version of that. Yes. Probably uh, the third I, most popular. I think you could probably draw the straightest line, uh, you know, bet between Wildcats and, and Cyberforce. So much so that the two of them, after their miniseries, had a uh, crossover, which really could be viewed as either a Typhoid Mary thing, but also kind of an Inferno type thing. Um, the teams are okay, okay. very similar, and they're also very similar to the X-Men. Um, which is kind of the premise of this comic written by Ron Mars and uh, drawn by Pat Lee and an army of inkers. Yeah, uh, so Sylvester does the cover here, and uh, since he runs Top Cow, uh, helped do production on this one. And these are his characters. And frankly, y'all, when else are we going to have a chance to talk about Cyberforce X-Men? <laughs> then the Mark Sylvester Power Hour. That's right. Uh, so even though Sylvester is not drawing this, um, we do have a crossover between not the entire teams, which I think is an interesting choice, but two characters from each team that are very, very similar, wouldn't you say? Yeah, so you got Ripclaw, who looks like Lobo from the Detective Comics comics, but he has Lady Deathstrike hands. And acts like a Wolverine because he also acts right. like Lobo. Right. 
he he's is, a bastard. He is, if I remember correctly, um, kind of a forge slash Wolverine combo. He's got, uh, if I'm cor- I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he has a Native American backstory, and then he has these like the the whole thing about Cyber Force is that there are a group of like cybernetically enhanced soldiers um you know a la weapon x so not so that's not what cyber means that's not (laughs) that's not how it works mark but keep going oh man um and then his companion in this story is a psylocke analog which is psy blade yeah uh she has like hot knives but they're psylocke things they're they're Instead of instead of having the focus totality of her psychic mic in one knife, she has it in like five hand knives. <laughs> right. Uh, now, the two of them are killing members of the hand. Fair um, enough. Things are going swimmingly. Uh, not sure why that's happening. And then Ripclaw kind of gets Days of Future Past by a Sentinel. He gets very Days of Future Pasted by a Sentinel. <laughs> Like, it, it's uh, just, you look at it and say, yep, that's, they did it. They're, <laughs> they are leaning into the fact that this is a dumb crossover. So you're going to do as many X-Men homages as you can. So the two Cyberforce characters get captured by these Sentinels and uh, Wolverine and Psylocke investigate and, uh, and, you know, they break them free out of captivity uh, they talk and they basically acknowledge that they are <laughs> the analogs of the other people. Literally, like, Wolverine says, the X-Men have a school. I think we got a couple extra bedrooms. Assuming it wouldn't be overly <laughs> confusing having two guys with claws and two ladies with energy blades. Interested? <laughs> yeah, he invites Which, them to, the to moment, be X-Men. That right there is the moment where I, I and this comic understood each other. We got to a point where it was, look, we know what this is. This is Cyberforce meeting X-Men and Cyberforce ripping off X-Men. And we're just going to accept this for what it is. And we're going to tell a story where Cyberforce and X-Men team up to fight a Sentinel. And that's all you want, right? That's what else? And that is what else did you literally... That is literally all that happens. Um, and the analog goes so far as to once they've defeated the Sentinel, there or Sentinels, there is a splash page which actually does a split screen between the current members of Cyberforce on one side and the classic X-Men lineup on the right side so that you can kind of imagine who is supposed to be who on each team. Um, they are not it's the most skirting Wizards around comic it. stuff. It's great. Uh, it's stupid. It's quick. Almost nothing happens. And really the whole point of it is just to sort of like tongue in cheek say, Hey, yeah, we, we ripped you off. <laughs> it's not a good story, but it's kind of a great comic. Like, this was never going to be a top shooter on our list, 
But what else could this comic have been? Like, we saw what happens when you try and reach for the stars. We read Wildcats X-Men, and that's two good issues and two real bad issues. Where this, it's just it's just giving you, it's like, here, look, Psylocke and Psyblade are standing back to back, Psyblading and Psylocking people. <laughs> what yeah. else do you want? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right there. Um, so... I'm curious what you think of it in comparison to at 390 on our list. We do have Wildcats X-Men, which uh, is a much more ambitious project. Um, this is much more of like kind of a silly, a treat. You know what I mean? This is the, this is the uh, lollipop that you got after you went to the dentist and they probably shouldn't have given you that. Cause that gives you cavities, but you know, whatever. Wildcats X-Men has, the Travis Cherist and Jim Lee issues, which are very good. Jim Lee issues not good from a story standpoint. It's good because Grifter makes out with Jean Grey, and I love it. <laughs> uh, Grifter from the Detective Comics comics now. That's right. Uh, Batman's friend, I guess. Batman, a guy who, I don't read it. I assume he just lives in Gotham City now. I've been um, meaning to I'm read actually, that because Rosenberg's been writing it, but I, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to do that yet because I I've don't actually, read I actually, DC Comics. I actually have on my list of things to read in the DC Comics on my new DC Comics app, uh, the James Tinney and the Fourth uh, run, which I think brings Grifter in uh, oh, cool. to the fold and then spins him back out. Uh, yeah, James Tinney and the Fourth. Um, oh, I'm reading. Uh, I'm reading comics? Department of Truth. Yeah, y'all. No one told you that Department of Truth was a Bill Sienkiewicz looking ho, ho, comic ho, ho, ho. that came I out. I just bought the first trade of that. It is so good. It's a treat, and I am. It's six issues in. Go catch up on it. Grab the first trade. It's gorgeous. Uh, that's a uh, who's that? Uh, Matthew Simmons, I believe. Um... And and the the trade is only ten bucks for the first yeah, five cool. issues. So no, I know we're giving you a lot of recs this time. Go pick up Martin Simmons, excuse me. <laughs> um, go pick up Department of Truth one through five because it's super good. Yeah. If you're afraid that it's a story about conspiracy theories and you live in the world we live in right now, I appreciate and understand that, but it walks the finest tightrope I've ever seen to the point that the premise. Calmed all my concerns about the high concept of what if every conspiracy theory was real. Yep. Yep. It's incredible. We're not ranking that. We're not ranking that right now. And it's no. weird that we got on that tangent. When I, <laughs> That's okay. We got on that tangent to say um, X-Men Wildcats also has those two really bad issues at the end, including stuff that's uncomprehensible. Mm. See, this but, is silly. And oh, I'm sorry. Finish your thought. Oh, I was going to say that just a few spots down from it is Apocalypse versus Dracula, which is not an intercompany crossover, but is a crossover <laughs> of sorts and is bad. So I yeah, would say it is. probably above that at 395. Um, well, and right above that, we have the uh, equally dumb X-Men the movie special, which was the tie-in to the Wizards of the Coast game that we talked about in our last episode. Um, it's better I'm, than that. So I think this could go in between those two. What do you think? 
I think this would be better. I I found more joy in this than the the trading card game tie-in. All right. Uh, well, Days, then it'll go. Days of Future Present is probably better, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That has that beautiful Art Adams issue. So we will always give it credit for that. So this will be our new three ninety four. And uh, you know, three ninety four. Maybe we didn't say Mark Silvestri as much as I thought we would. We said Mark Silvestri a lot, Adam. <laughs> I'm gonna roll back the tapes, and as I edit, I'll add in dings or something. I'm just kidding. No, that sounds miserable. Don't. No, I'm not. You know I didn't do that. <laughs> there will be no, yeah, there will be no dings. <laughs> no bespoke dings every time I see Mark Silvestri in Mark Silvestri Power Hour. But oh, we do want to thank uh, Dave Shevlin uh, for throwing money our way so that we could have the Mark Silvestri Power Hour. This was fun. Give us more weird suggestions, folks. Give us dumb things. Give us high concepts. Don't just say, I think Dark Phoenix Saga was neat. I can't do anything with that. You give me, mm, you know what, y'all? You know, I really am interested in comics where Wolverine makes food. I can find <laughs> weird stuff with that. I already have two out of the three off the top of my head. Just coming up with that off the dome. So um, give us more weird dumb suggestions. Like Dave went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf. That's where you have all the latest and greatest in good comic book journalism from the good comic book journalism teams. Um, it's fun and I like it and I think it's a good website and I think you should check it out. We have really good stuff like uh, there's a really good retrospective that uh, Vishal Gulapali did about his conflicted feelings about the Nick Spencer Captain America runs uh, that Ooh. will be up. Uh, Adam hasn't read it. He's just doing an eye because no, I want to read good. it. I love, I love it's, Vishal. Stuff. It's a good, it's a good article. I'm really excited about what Vishal's got uh, cooked up. I just have to uh, put it up on the website and actually I have to open up the Marvel Unlimited app and get pictures from a run that I hate. Uh, and he has conflicted feelings on because uh, you read the thing. It's for good me, reason. I, wouldn't be, I would not. I would not be putting Nick Spencer apologia apologetics on the site. That go in. Go in with this. Um, anyway, go check out that website or Twitter, which is ComicsXF. Adam, what's up? Oh, guys, you can always follow me on uh, Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, I recently uh, put the transformed my uh my x-men transformer so you can read about that on cxf uh i don't know if this will be out by the time this episode comes on but i'm gonna do an article about everybody on cxf's cats so uh if you like cats that's gonna be exciting (laughs) we're a no-nonsense website that only gives you the best no-nonsense comics content Um, Uh, what are are we doing next week well, oh. we're, we're going to be dealing with a no-nonsense man, and that is the old man, Logan. Yes. It's time to get old, so, Zach. Adam, Adam, I'm already old. I'm we're so, so old. I'm bringing my cane to the next I'm episode. I'm nearly 30. I might as well be dead. <laughs> They're going to start calling me old man Jenkins soon. Old man Jenkins. <laughs> It'll be good. Me and Adam old man have, Logan. We have so many comics to read for this because old man logan's long and some of the other stories we chose were long um we make interesting choices with our free time uh but until then folks this has been val the adam and we hope you survived the experience Get it!